As we were singing just then, Oh, how He loves us. I couldn't help but but think for a moment on the unbelievable, unconditional love of the Father. In John chapter 21, Jesus, in His glorified state, appears to His disciples, Sea of Galilee, as they're fishing and make their way to the shore, realize that it's Jesus. He's there cooking them breakfast. Jesus then looks at Peter, who has just denied Jesus three times. All of the disciples had scattered and left him, abandoned him. Jesus, on the heels of Peter's Rejection, denial, looks at Peter and asks Peter, do you love me? Knowing what has just taken place, Peter says, yes, Lord, you know that I love him. You know that I love you. He asked him a second time, Peter, do you love me? He said, yes, Lord, you know I love you. He asked him a third time, communicating to Peter that I know that you denied me three times. I know that you, like all the other disciples, scattered and left. Even though you said, I will follow you to the grave, I'll be baptized with the same baptism that you'll be baptized with, I'll never deny you. And yet, he did. Jesus expected Peter's failure more than Peter did. And loved him anyway. There is an unconditional love that the Father has for us that we cannot possibly imagine. All of our affection on this earth, even for those that we have the most, the most affection for, the most love, is conditional. It may be conditional upon their relationship to us, but it's conditional. The Father's love for us is unconditional. Oh, how He loves. Well, that was free. If you have your Bibles, I encourage you to turn up to John chapter 14 this morning. John chapter 14, we're going to continue in our walk through the Gospel of John as we get to this this pericope, the section of the Gospel of John where, where we have this extended trail that Jesus communicates with His disciples on the eve of His betrayal, on the eve of His arrest, His trial, His crucifixion, His burial. This is mere hours before Jesus is arrested and tried and crucified. We have this This three chapters, 14, 15, well, really four chapters, 14, 15, 16, and 17, where we have an extended communication of Jesus with his disciples. And then chapter 17, the high priestly prayer. If you have one of those red letter edition Bibles, you'll notice that almost all of 14, 15, 16, and 17 are red. 
Jesus is communicating a great deal to his disciples just before he leaves them. And we pick up the story in verse 6. Thomas has just said, Lord, how do we know the way? How can we know where you're going? How do we know how to get there if we don't even know where you're going? And, and Jesus said, Thomas, I am the way, the truth, and the life. John chapter 14, verse 6. Jesus said to him, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but through me. If you had known me, you would have known my Father also. From now on, you know him and have seen him. Philip said to him, Lord, show us the Father and it is enough for us. Jesus said to him, have I been so long with you and yet you've not come to know me, Philip? He who has seen me has seen the Father. How do you say, show us the Father? Do you not believe that I am in the Father and the Father is in me? The words I say to you, I do not speak of my own initiative, but the Father abiding in me does his works. Believe me that I am in the Father, and the Father is in me. Otherwise, believe on the account of the works themselves. Truly, truly, I say to you, he who believes in me, the works that I do, shall he do also, and greater works than these he shall do, because I go to the Father. And whatever you ask in my name, I will do, that the Father may be glorified in the Son. If you ask me anything in my name, I will do it. If you love me, you will keep my commandments. Let's pray. God, may we see this morning the truth of the gospel. May we understand these greater works that we are to do. May your Holy Spirit begin to speak to us, reveal truth to our hearts. Convict us of our sin, convict us of where we fail, and draw us to a place of obedience. We ask all this in the precious name of Jesus. Amen. Well, it is indeed my prayer that when you leave, that you will do greater things than Christ. That we will do these greater works that Christ speaks of. Now, <clears throat> this statement that you will do greater things than I have done, that, that, that God will use you to perform these, these unbelievable miracles, these unbelievable signs, these unbelievable works, comes on the heels of a very profound question that is posed by one of Jesus' 12 disciples, Philip. Now, Philip is not... There are some of the disciples that... We know who they are simply because we're given a list that these are the 12 disciples. I mean, if I were to ask you, what has Bartholomew done? Most of you would look at me and say, who's Bartholomew? And the reality is, is that we know a great deal about James and John and Peter and even Andrew and Philip. But outside of these apostles, there are very little that the scripture tells us we know that nathaniel was sitting under the tree says you know that the scripture says he is a, a man where there's no guile found in him and and but outside of these handful of disciples there's very little that the scripture teaches us but we do know about philip 
We do know that Philip was the one that was responsible for bringing Nathanael to Jesus. We know that Philip was the one that right before Jesus fed the thousands, that Jesus said to Philip, hey, Philip, since you're from Bethsaida, since you're from this area, why don't you go and procure food for all these people? And Philip says, Lord, there's no way we can get food for all of these people. And that's when Jesus said, tell them to sit down. I'll feed them. We know that Philip in John chapter 12 was the one who brought the Greeks to Jesus, initiating this, this hour that was at hand. John chapter 12, verse 20 through 22. Now there, was a certain, now there were certain Greeks among those who were going up to worship at the feast. These were God-fearing Greeks. And these therefore came to Philip, who was from Bethsaida of Galilee, and began asking him, saying, Sir, we wish to see Jesus. <coughs> and Philip came and told Andrew, and Andrew and Philip came, and they told Jesus. Philip was someone who was very practical, was very pragmatic, and desired to see the works of Christ and desire to make the works of Christ known. And so, we get this question from Philip. And I don't want us to, to throw Philip under the bus just yet because Philip makes a statement that many of us have made over and over and over again. Philip makes a statement and he says, Lord, show us the Father, and that's enough for us. We'll believe. Philip essentially said this, church. He said, God, if you will just blank, then I'll believe. If you will just answer this prayer request, then I will believe. Has anybody ever made a deal with God? Anybody ever been so desperate, you're, you're lying in your bed, you're, you're, you're in a state of frustration, you're in a state of, of, of just desperation, and you begin striking deals with God. And you begin having these conversations. Maybe I'm the only one who, who, who is there. And, and okay, God, if, if you will just do blank, then I will never do X, Y, or Z. Or if you will just do blank, then I will know that you are real and I will do X, Y, or Z. I will wake up every morning and read my Bible. I will set my alarm for an hour earlier so that I can spend time. I will never miss church. I will always do blank. We have this conversation with God all the time. Whether we acknowledge it, whether we admit it, this is how our brain works because our brain says, if you will just blank, if you will just deliver me, save me, if you will just help me through this trial, help me through this tragedy, if you will just show yourself to me, then, then I will believe. This is not the first time Jesus has heard this Statement, John chapter 6, verse 30. On the heels of Jesus walking on water, on the heels of Jesus taking the five loaves of bread and two fish and turning it into enough food to feed 
15 plus thousand people with enough food that they gather 12 baskets of food left over. On the heels of these mighty works of Jesus turning water into wine, on the heels of these things, this is what the scripture says. In John chapter 6, verse 30, they said to him, what then do you do for a sign that we may see and believe? What work do you perform? You kidding? But look at what Peter says. Jesus, if you will just show us the Father, we'll believe you. If you will just show us the Father, that's enough for us. Are you kidding? Jesus, if you will just help me make this mortgage payment. Jesus, if you will just deliver me from blank. Jesus, if you will just help me through this grief. Jesus, if you will just show yourself to my children, then I'll believe. Are you kidding? Please hear this not as a rebuke or admonition because I have had that same conversation with the Lord more times than I can count. And I read this passage and I see the practical, pragmatic Philip who walked with Jesus, who ate the very food that he multiplied, who was in the very boat when Jesus calmed the storm, who was in the very boat when Jesus came walking across the water, who was at the tomb of Lazarus when a dead man came walking out. And Philip says, God, if you will just blank, if you will just show us the Father, then I will believe. My question to you is the question I ask myself. Would you? Because the reality is, is that Jesus has shown Philip the Father, has he not? John chapter 1, verse 14 says that the Word became flesh and dwelt among us and we beheld his glory, glory as of the only begotten of the Father. Jesus, in Hebrews chapter 1, verse 3, tells us that he is the exact representation of the Father. That if we have seen Jesus, we have seen the Father, that Jesus is the revelation of God, that he is God's self-disclosure to us, that God left the glory of heaven, put on flesh, and became a man, and that man is the person Jesus 100% God, yet 100% man, that he is God in the flesh. And so God has revealed himself to Peter, to Paul, to Philip, to all of the disciples. And Philip says, if you'll just show us the Father, we'll believe. And we say to God, if you will just blank, we'll believe. And then what does God do? Because he is faithful, because he is just, because he is gracious, he pours out his grace. He reveals truth to us. He delivers us. And then we say six months later, a year later, God, if you will just blank, then I will 
fill in the blank. The reality is, is that the problem is not God has not revealed himself. The problem is that we are slow to believe. If we look at the evidence, if we look at the evidence of truth, if we look at the works of the Father demonstrated through Christ, we will see that Jesus is I am. Jesus is the ego ami. What has he done? Look, look at what he says to Philip. Look at his response to Philip. His response <coughs> in chapter 14. Verse 9, Jesus said, Have I been so long with you, and yet you've not yet come to know me, Philip? He who has seen me has seen the Father. How do you say, show us the Father? Look at verse 10. Do you not believe that I am in the Father, and the Father is in me? The words I say to you, I do not speak in my own initiative, but the Father who is living inside of me, who is abiding in me, he does his works. Look at what he says in verse 11. He says, believe me that I am in the Father, and the Father is in me. Otherwise, believe on the account of my works. He says, Philip, if you don't think that you've seen the Father, look at the works which you have seen. You have seen the dead rise. You have seen the, the fish and the bread be multiplied. You've seen the lame walk. You've seen the blind see. Remember the conversation Jesus, after he is John the Baptist. John the Baptist is in prison. And after he has proclaimed Jesus as the Messiah, behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Those were the messages, that, that was the very words of John the Baptist. And then John the Baptist is arrested and he's in prison and he sends one of his disciples to Jesus and he asks Jesus this question, are you the one that we are to expect? Are you the Messiah? Or should we expect another one? And what was Jesus' response? Jesus' response was, tell John, what you have seen, the lame walk, the blind see, the dead are raised to life. Tell John the works which you have seen. That is the evidence that I am who I say I am, that I am the one come down from the Father. That's the same message that he gives to Philip. He says, look at the evidence. We have never, church, we have never been called to have blind faith. We have never been called as believers to just believe. To just believe because that's what we're supposed to do. God has always called us to believe based upon evidence, based upon the truth, based upon what we have seen and what we have heard. He says, John chapter 6, to those who said, show us a sign that we may believe. Jesus said, there is, Moses gave you manna from heaven. My father will give you the bread of life. And they said, fine, give us this bread. And Jesus said, he has. I am the bread of life. Over and over and over again, Jesus revealed over himself as the fulfillment of God's promise. Over and over and over again, that evidence has been made clear to the disciples. And then in our lives, 
over and over and over again, God has proved himself faithful. We have prayed, we've poured out our heart, we have cried out to God for him to reveal himself to us. And over and over and over again, he does and he is faithful to the nth degree. And then we say, God, if you will just blank. And he says, I have over and over again. And all of the evidence says, I am. I am the bread of life. I am the light of the world. I am the living water. I am the good shepherd. I am the door. I am all that you need me to be. I am. I am the way, the truth, and the life. And no man comes to the Father but through me. I want us to understand this, church. Jesus completely, fully revealed himself to his disciples. And yet, none of them got it. Not Peter, not James, not John. They're arguing with Jesus right before he's arrested. Hey, Jesus, when you come into your kingdom, let me sit on one hand and let my brother sit on the other side. Philip, just hours before Jesus' arrest, is saying, Jesus, show us the Father and we'll believe. None of them get it. Until the promised the promise of the Holy Spirit. It's not until Jesus' resurrection, His ascension, and the giving of the Holy Spirit that it clicks. What does this communicate to us, church? This communicates something that is vitally important, and I want us to understand this. I want us to understand, it is not until Pentecost, it is not until Jesus' ascension and the, and the Pentecost and the giving of the Holy Spirit that the disciples understand. Because we must understand, it is the work of the Holy Spirit to reveal to our hearts truth. It is the work of the Holy Spirit to reveal truth. You cannot know truth outside of the, revel of the revealing work of the Holy Spirit. It's impossible. How do you say that, preacher? Because I see the disciples walking with Jesus, talking with Jesus, experience. They were literally walking with God and they didn't get it. They literally had a conversation with God in the flesh and they didn't get it. And yet we expect to understand all these theological truths, all these great mysteries without the revealing work of the Holy Spirit? Understand the necessity of the Holy Spirit in revealing truth to our hearts. Understanding that, understanding that, let us look at this next statement because the context, the context speaks to this next statement. Jesus makes the statement, he says, he who believes in verse 12, truly I say to you, he who believes in me and believing in him takes the revelation of the spirit of God. He who believes in me, truly I say to you, he who believes in me and the works which I do, he shall also do and greater works than these shall he do because I go to the father. Now, I want us to understand that this statement of Jesus does not mean that believers 
on the heels of Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection that we are going to do more dramatic, more dynamic miracles than Jesus. That is not the context of this passage. The passage does not say that the believers, all of those who believe in him, are going to go and stand on the bow of the boat and say to the, the storm, be still. We're not going to stand at the tomb of Lazarus and call people out of the grave. I've been to a bunch of funerals. I've done a ton of them. I've been, I've been a, a, in the congregation at funerals. I've officiated funerals. And not one time have I ever seen a believer, someone who loves Jesus, who walks with Jesus, stand at the casket and say, get up. If that happened, you might have to bury me. I hadn't seen it. Yet Jesus says, you're going to do greater things than I. Well, if Jesus called people from the dead, well, then we too should be able to call people from the dead, right? Not only one person, but multiple people because we're going to do greater things. That's not what the context of the text says. It doesn't say that we're going to be able to walk on water because Jesus walked on water. So we ought to be able to walk on water because we'll be able to do greater things than him. That's not what the context says. Notice what the context says. Jesus is speaking about his hour. My hour has come. The hour for me to be glorified. The hour for me to be lifted up. What is he talking about? His crucifixion. The hour for me has come. And on the heels of this, on the other side of this, on the other side of my exaltation, my glorification, which is the cross, I will be buried. I will raise from the dead, victorious over sin, death, and the grave. And he's going to say in the very next passage that we look at next week that the promise of the Holy Spirit, that God, it is necessary that I go, because if I don't go, the Holy Spirit will not come. The paraclete, the helper, will not come. And so it's necessary that I be buried, that I raise from the dead, that the Spirit of God may descend upon you so that you may know truth, so that you may have the truth of God revealed, and so that you may be empowered to reveal and that the Spirit of God may work through you to proclaim the finished work of the cross. So if we understand the context, Jesus' works were to reveal who He was, that He was God come in the flesh to pay the penalty for our sin, that He was the promised Messiah, that He was the Lamb of God, that he was that Passover lamb, that he was the fulfillment of the Abrahamic covenant, of the, of the Adamic covenant, of the Davidic covenant, of the Noahic covenant, that he was the fulfillment of all of the covenants, that Jesus' works revealed who he was. On the other side of the cross, on the other side of his death, his burial, and his resurrection, the disciples would be filled with the Spirit of God. And their work would be to proclaim not who Jesus was, not just that He was the Messiah and was going to come to be the Savior, but that He had come. That salvation had been accomplished. That God in His great grace and in His great mercy had triumphantly entered into humanity and had paid the penalty of sin and had taken away 
the penalty and the power of sin and has given us eternal life in Christ. And the message of the disciples, the message of the church, the body of Christ would be far greater than, than the message of Christ. Because the message of Christ was, I am going to do this. The message of the church was, it has been done. It is accomplished. It is finished. It is paid in full. Do you see the difference? One is, Jesus is coming. He's going to do this. This is going to happen. One is, it is done. It is accomplished. It is finished. It is paid. The message of the gospel through the power of the Holy Spirit is greater than that which will happen. It's that which has happened. Jesus makes the statement, the message that you will bring is greater. Because it's not about opening the eyes of the blind. It's not about calling Lazarus out of the grave only to see him die later. It's not about healing a man whose legs are broken only to have him die. It's not about feeding you today only for you to be hungry tomorrow. The message that you bring is a message of eternal life. A message of eternal hope. The message that we bring in the gospel is greater. The saving of the gospel kingdom of God triumphantly invades humanity and through the message of the gospel the church is used by God to transform lives. The finished work of the cross is greater and more transformational than what Jesus will do because it's what he did. It's what he has done. And believing in this message, the Spirit of God indwells us. And the Spirit of God transforms us for all of eternity. Acts chapter 1.8. Luke says this. Go with me, if you will, to Luke. I'm sorry, to the book of Acts. Chapter 1. <clears throat> the book of Acts is a second volume. Luke writes the Gospel of Luke, Volume 1, and he writes the book of Acts, Volume 2. If you look at verse 1 and 2, he says, In the first account I composed to Theophilus about all that Jesus had begun to do and teach until that day when he was taken up, and after, after he had by the Holy Spirit given orders to the apostles to whom he had chosen. So he said, In my first act in the Gospel, I told you all the things that Jesus did. <coughs> and then in the book of Acts, he's going to talk about the fulfillment of John chapter 14, the greater things that you will do. Acts chapter 1-8, and you'll receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. And what will you do when the Spirit of God has come upon you? He doesn't say you'll calm the storm, you'll walk on water, you'll raise people from the dead, you'll heal the blind, you'll heal the lame. Now, don't misunderstand me. We do see the apostles and we do see believers in the, in the power of the Holy Spirit perform miracles. 
We do see God using the church to do miraculous things. But the miraculous things and the greater works that God is speaking of in the gospel of John chapter 14 is not those miraculous signs. It's Acts chapter 1-8. You'll receive the power of God. You'll receive the Holy Spirit. And you will be my witnesses. Witnesses of what? Witnesses of the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus, which brings about eternal life. You'll be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the uttermost parts of the earth. Matthew chapter 28, whenever Jesus ascends, right before Jesus ascends into heaven, he gives his disciples their marching orders. What will, it, what will they do that will be greater? And you'll be my witnesses. Matthew chapter 28, all authority has been given unto me, therefore go. As you go, make disciples. Baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. Teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. That is the greater thing that we will do. We will proclaim the message of the gospel. What is the message of the gospel? It's plain church. It's simple. We come into this world broken, sinful, damned for all of eternity. You don't have to teach a child to lie. They know how to do that. The scripture tells us, David said in Psalm 51, I was brought forth in sin and in sin my mother conceived me. And we come into this world knowing sin. Walking in disobedience. Rebellious. By our very nature, Romans chapter 8 says, the mindset on the flesh is hostile towards God and it does not obey God's law for it's not even able to do so. Isaiah says all of our righteousness is as filthy rags. And even the good things that we do are tainted with sin and selfishness. And that sin carries with it a penalty. And that penalty is death. Romans chapter 6 says the wages of sin, what we get what we get as payment for our sin, for our disobedience, is death. But the free gift of God is eternal life through Christ Jesus. See, God in His great grace knew that we would never be able to obtain righteousness. He knew that we would never be able to fulfill the righteous requirement of a holy God. And so instead of giving us all of these laws and all of these rules that we could not possibly obey, God said, I know that you are sinful. I know that you are rebellious. I know that in your heart that you are the enemy of God. And so, therefore, because you cannot obey my law, I'm going to come down from heaven and I'm going to obey the law perfectly. And then I'm going to trade places with you. I'm going to give you my righteousness. I'm going to take upon you my sin. Take upon myself your sin. The thing that makes Christianity different than every other religion in the world is this. God reached down to humanity. Every other religion, every other world religion, every other major faith is man's attempt to reach God either by 
by placating him, by giving unto him, by making sacrifices to him, by obeying him. Every other world belief system says we must do X, Y, and Z in order to get to God. Christianity is the only belief system where God says you cannot get to me. Therefore, I am going to come to you. And he left the glory of heaven, became a man, perfectly fulfilled God's righteous requirement, and then took upon himself our sin and gave us his righteousness. Was killed, paid the penalty of our sin, was buried, rose victorious over sin, death, and the grave, that all of those who believe in him should not perish. That's the greater work. We can proclaim that message to a lost and dying world. We've been entrusted with the gospel. The only way, the only way the world will know the truth of the gospel is through his church. The church is not a vehicle that God desires to bring the gospel message, the church is the vehicle. He says to his disciples, you will do greater works. You will be the vehicle by which the great commission is fulfilled. We are that vehicle. Let's pray. God, we are completely humbled that in your great grace and in your great mercy you took the message of this gospel the good news of the gospel that while we were dead in our trespasses while we were enemies of God you left the glory of heaven became a man took our place died in our place us alone our substitute that if we place our faith and trust in Jesus and in Jesus alone, we may have eternal life. There's some of you here this morning and you've been so busy striking deals with God. You've been so busy trying to, trying to measure up so that you're good enough to God that you realize for the very first time today that there's no way you can be good enough. But the truth of the gospel is that Jesus was good enough for you. This morning, if that's you, I want to invite you to come. Come and place your faith and trust in the death, burial, and resurrection of the cross. In the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus. His finished work. Maybe this morning, God has revealed to your heart God has revealed to your heart the need to share the message of the gospel not in a confrontational way not in a way that is arrogant or belittling but in a way that communicates love that God loves you so much that he came to die for you.
As the Spirit of God speaks to your heart this morning, may you find yourself obedient. Maybe God is calling you this morning to be a part of what He's doing locally right here at Redeemer. Be a part of this body of Christ as we fulfill the Great Commission. Maybe God is calling you this morning to be baptized as an act of obedience. Maybe you simply need to come to this altar and thank God for His indescribable gift. Whatever it is the Spirit of God speaks to your heart, may today be the day of obedience. God, may your Holy Spirit invade this place. May draw us to your bleeding side. God, we ask for your Holy Spirit to have freedom in this place this morning. In Jesus' name.